So we are deeply invested in helping people have a positive impact after the sale because it's so critical to the recurring business, referral business, and just feeling good about what you're doing, that you've actually changed someone's life as opposed to just collected a dollar from them and who cares what happens next. My name is Ish Bade, and I'm the founder and CEO of Virtually. And this is Reshaping Education, where we discuss boot camps, online education, and how the internet is changing how we learn. Hey, everybody. Ish here today, joined by Greg Smith, co-founder and CEO of, I think, IFIC, a publicly traded company based in Vancouver, Canada. Greg, so great to have you on the podcast today. Would you be able to introduce yourself real quick? Thanks, Ish. It's a pleasure to be here. And yeah, I think you said it. I'm at Thinkific and we make it easy and amazing for people with knowledge, passion, skills and expertise who want to go have a positive impact on the world by sharing it with others to earn a living and build a business doing just that. Yeah. And Greg, obviously, admittedly a huge fan just of all the kind of impactful work that you and your company have been doing over the past decade. One of the things I'm always curious about is how entrepreneurs find their way through the idea maze to get to where they are today. And and obviously, you guys have a big, you're having a huge impact on entrepreneurs all over the world. But it was really interesting. I went into the Wayback Machine and I went back to the early years <laughs> of Thinkific. And it was cool to see the progression. So I think it's almost 10 years ago, exactly, Thinkific was just an email sign-up list. And one of your original taglines, which is, you guys have come a long way since, was Thinkific, grow your mind, online and mobile continuing education to fit your schedule. Uh, so <laughs> walk us through everything, I guess, maybe like context leading up to the initial sure. launch of Thinkific to today to when you guys, it sounds like I think the closest thing to today's tagline was probably came around 2014, where at that point you guys had shifted your position to create and sell your online courses. So walk us through yeah. the idea maze. Like how did you make it from there to here? Yeah, it's funny you mentioned that, the Grow Your Mind. I still have a t-shirt that has that on it. And I remember when we got the t-shirts made, we only had two made. Whereas now if we order swag, it's probably 500 plus of anything. <laughs> but yeah, so early days, it was really interesting in that we we started thinking of it in 2012. But if you go back to 2005, 2006, so way before that, I was teaching and tutoring the LSAT, the law school admissions test in person and wanted to reach more people, put together a blog, started saying, hey, there's something here. Let's make a course. Let's do something that people can access on demand because there's only so much of my time to go around. And most of my first interactions with people, at least the first few hours to first few days is all the same stuff. So let's give them all that. And then they can call me for individual tutoring if they need it. So we went looking for a tool that does what Thinkific does today, right? Your site, your brand, your business, your content to share your knowledge and couldn't find anything. There were marketplaces at the time, but nothing like what we do now. So we built our own solution for ourselves just to sell my course. And then, and that kind of was a side project for the next decade or seven or eight years. And then kept getting feedback of people saying, we want exactly what you've built. And so we actually set out to build right out of the gate exactly what we have today, which was like a tool for people with knowledge, passion to create their own business under their own brand and sell it to go teach others. But as you pointed out, when you look in the Wayback Machine and things like that, the first couple of years, probably first three years, we actually ended up doing a bunch of other different things. So for a while, we were a marketplace where all the courses were on our site. We did almost a licensing pro licensing model where we would produce other people's courses, even shooting the videos and editing them and selling them. We 
We focused on professional ed courses for a while. We did custom solutions for people, even did some work for a whole bunch of not-for-profits, and then came full circle back to the original idea, which was your site, your brand, self-serve solution. We're here to help if you need it, but you build your own website under your own brand, and people don't even know we're here. We're just the technology that powers it behind the scenes and makes it easy to do. It was an interesting evolution. What we wanted to do out of the gate, we didn't have the resources, expertise or ability. And so tried a bunch of other things and then came full circle back to the original idea once we really saw the product market fit for it. That's super exciting. And it's funny, you hear a lot of entrepreneurs talking about like they are basically in this like trough of sorrow and eventually they do this pivot and then things start to work and they're like promised land. What's really interesting is you guys had an idea, you pivoted away, and then pivoted back and it started yeah. working. And so I'm curious, you obviously talked about that you didn't have the expertise maybe to build the product you originally wanted, but how much of it also was market, that the market had shifted between those two years, that it was now even a better time for this product to exist and maybe it wouldn't have gotten the same traction if it was just a couple of years earlier? Yeah, it was a combination of things because we certainly, you're right, we were certainly early in that I think marketplaces like Udemy were just getting their start around then. And so there wasn't as much, like, like places like Udemy, Masterclass, others like that have been, um, Coursera, some of their successes have, although they're not, say, competitors to us, they've been amazing at raising overall awareness of this concept of building your own education and making a business doing it. So you're right, there was, the market wasn't quite there. Even when we did get started, it was pretty early in the space and there was nowhere near as many people as there are today who are thinking about this as a business model. That combined with a little bit of our own abilities to get things going. And then as much as I say we had the original idea, it wasn't totally fleshed out, right? It wasn't like we'd written it down and it was perfect and it was, this is what we want to do. And then we just decided to pivot to do other things. That was what we should have been doing. It was what we built for me. It was the original idea, but it wasn't really fleshed out. And so by exploring all of these other things, we kept getting customer feedback and really eventually were pulled back into this product market fit of this is actually what everybody wanted to begin with. Yeah, it's super interesting because I think we've on the podcast, we've gone deep into the history of online education. And so much of it starts really with we talk about actually, yeah, like in 2011, when you have me, you have the MOOC movement and you have people creating courses on the Internet for the first time. And it's a big part of the opportunity, what it seems like for Thinkific was not only that these course platforms had to exist, but these marketplaces had to exist. And there was this mistreatment of their creators, which kind of created an opportunity where people are like, wow, like I'm on these marketplaces, but I don't own the end Mm -hmm. customer. Like I don't own my customer. And then also these platforms were taking a huge cut. And so there was this kind of negative sentiment that also had to build up over time that allowed you guys to take advantage of the opportunity. Yeah. And it also, there was an added bonus that I think my we were always building the technology in this direction from the start. And so even though we were playing with these other business models, the technology was moving in the direction where we would be able to support thousands of customers with their own sites that we didn't have out of the gate. Oh, that's super interesting. So from like day one, while you were like, you guys were all, they were like first party owned courses, the infrastructure was being built that, oh, if we wanted to flip a switch and have anybody create a course, you can do this. And so there's some long term thinking involved here. Yeah. Yeah. And it started out as we're using that engine ourselves to build it for others. And then eventually we'll open it up for them to use it because it's not mature enough for someone else to sign in and pay us and do it themselves yet. 
Yeah. And I, what I really love about your story is, again, you're scratching your own itch. And I'm an entrepreneur just like yourself. We went through YC just a couple of years ago. And one of the things YC talks a lot about, which is scratching your itch and solving problems that specifically that people are hacking to try to do themselves. And your story, I think, reminds me a lot of Shopify's founder, to- Toby Lutke, who also created his own e-commerce site before ultimately starting Shopify. So one thing that I'm curious about is with the course creator market, I've always wondered, which is what is the typical journey of somebody creating a course online? Is it, I think there's two paths that people could go down, which is one, they could build a course and then go out and try to find distribution later. Or is it that these people are generally have an audience and maybe they have, whether that's on YouTube, they're blogging, Twitter, something else. And over time, they're looking for ways to monetize. Do you see it leaning one way over the other? Yeah. If it was just one way, it would be so much easier for us in our go-to-market and marketing plans. It really is. It does depend on the individual and where they started. So you have people who start out as, say, more conventional education. So maybe they're a coach, an author, a trainer. They might do a bunch of offline training or through other avenues, and then they're trying to add this digital component. And in that case, Depending on the size of their existing business, they're often trying to first build this digital product of a community or a course or a membership and then go and grow an audience and market it. And if they already have a really big existing customer base, that can be easier. But often they're coming with no online audience that is significant enough and then they're trying to create and grow that. Then you have this totally different group that has started to build an audience around something they're passionate about. That could be the YouTuber, or the TikToker who's saying, how do I have a bigger engagement, bigger impact, bigger positive change in my audience's lives and monetize it? And so they come from a different view of I've got an audience. Now what? And then they start building this product. I both are super valid path. The former one where you've got the training and you're trying to build an audience is sometimes more challenging because the people who focus more on the training to start with often struggle to make that leap to go and do the marketing for it. Whereas the ones who already have an audience, if you can build a solid product, you've already got the hardest part I find, which is building the audience around it. Yeah. And you've also validated the market, right? If you have an audience around a specific topic, then you already know that this is something people are curious about, that people are actively seeking out. So I think I'm curious, at least in the early days, did you guys lean towards one of these markets? Yeah. Interestingly, we leaned a lot more on the conventional trainer. So someone who was, now they had, to your point, they had proven that there was there was an interest and a need for what they were doing because they already had some kind of a business around teaching or training on their subject matter of expertise, but they tended to be more coach, trainer, author, teacher, expert in an area. They're monetizing it already, but often offline. And then they're going and saying, how do I create a digital product and monetize it and build an online audience around it? So they'd proven that people were willing to pay for what they had to offer and they could make a difference, but they were new to the digital space of monetizing it that way. That's where we started. And then I think more and more over time, we've seen the kind of more conventional creator economy where people are or what people refer to now as the creator economy of people building up their audiences and then looking for ways to have a bigger impact, have products to deliver to their audience and monetize. Yeah. And it's really tricky because you often you find these people who are incredibly talented teachers and have a great product, but don't know actually how to market it and sell it. And so I would be curious, how much of the onus does Thinkific take upon to help them with that journey to learning marketing, whereas just being like the technology layer and just saying, hey, we're just building a technology, you figure out the rest. Yeah, and early days, it's interesting because it's been an evolution. Early days, I was actually 
doing a lot of the marketing for people. I would pick up the phone even and do phone sales to sell some of these courses. And we were pretty successful with it. But obviously, that wasn't particularly scalable. Great thing to do getting started to prove it out, business model, all that. Uh, then we went into more a phase where it was very much self-serve. You solve your own marketing problem. Then we started to do a lot of training and education and coaching around how people could solve the marketing challenge and building the audience. And now more and more, we're trying to build solutions to help people for it. And so one of the interesting things I see is that people who uh, love to teach often don't love to sell or they see that maybe as a dirty word as marketing and selling. And so a lot of the things we're doing is empowering people to take their teaching and use it as a selling tool so that you can feel really positive as an educator or a teacher or someone who's got a knowledge or passion you want to share that by sharing it, you will close deals, generate revenue and get to have a positive impact on people. But it's not just about building the latest marketing funnel tactic, right? So we do a fair amount around more and more now we're investing in making it easier for people to sell. There's still training and there's still some onus on people to do or there's still significant onus on people to build their own marketing and audience. But we're doing more and more even from a R&D and innovation perspective to give them the tools to make it easier and easier for them to sell. Yeah, that's super, super exciting. Uh, we, one of our recent guests, Julia Stiglitz, she, uh, she worked at Coursera, spent some time as an investor at GSV, and we had a really productive conversation just a couple of weeks ago, and we were talking about just online education 1.0 versus online education 2.0. And she talked about how, like, one of the big moments for online education was when 2011 to 2014, when these course hosting platforms emerged, and it's all about accessibility. It's about how do we get the information out in the world online? That's mm-hmm. a really exciting moment for human society. But the kind of the shift we've been seeing more recently is that obviously a lot of these online courses get a bad rep because completion rates tend to be so low. And so there's been this trend towards creating programs that are more impactful and actually are more engaging for learners. Obviously, the incentives for Thinkific are so that it doesn't shouldn't really matter if students are finishing these courses, but I guess how, how do you think about it? Like, how do you think about, or how important is it for Thinkific to encourage their creators mm-hmm. to be creating kind of engaging courses that actually get students all the way to the end? Yeah, I care deeply about this impact piece. So there's really two key results that are the the end game of everything that we do and everything we do for our customers. Is one is that they get to, there's a few, but one of them is that they have a positive impact, a life-changing impact, ideally, on their customers. So someone's teaching you in the health and fitness space, hopefully that has a life-changing impact on you when you sign up for their membership or course or program. And then the other is that they're building a sustainable business doing that, so that the creator is building a sustainable business doing it. And I would say even if you go pre, back to the 1.0, specifically the space we're in is more than just say online education it's knowledge commerce or online education combined with this commerce component of it's not universities generally doing things in our space it's you're creating this experience where you want to positively change someone life someone's life through teaching what you know and you want to build a business doing it so there's always this commerce component and when i go back to the really earliest days i remember getting courses where it was really just about the sales funnel And then there was a buy button. And once you bought, then you might get emailed or quickly download a zip file with some videos and PDFs in it. And there wasn't, you talk completion rates, there wasn't even any tracking or caring whether I completed it. The transaction had occurred, they had their money, and I had my content. 
at that point, pretty much the relationship ended. Whereas I think where we're at now is people are realizing there's this amazing opportunity to really continue that relationship, ensure that impact happens, that you change someone's life and they become a repeat and referral customer. And so we are deeply invested in helping people have a positive impact after the sale because it's so critical to the recurring business, referral business, and just feeling good about what you're doing, that you've actually changed someone's life as opposed to just collected a dollar from them and who cares what happens next. Yeah, I love that. How do you exactly support creators in order to do this? Yeah, so one of the things is is creating more recurring models and those can be th- anything from cohort helping them create cohort-based models to where students will come through and experience it together and then the next class will come through to membership sites where it's more than just a course but you're getting ongoing you're paying ongoing often but you're coming back and continuing to experience an upgrade. There is some gamification that happens more so not like video game type gamification but more like what LinkedIn does where you we highlight the pro- progress and and showcase how people are moving through creating the ability to follow up with students to bring them back that's one of the biggest things that moves the needle is just saying hey remember you signed up for this and you still got some work to do and then more so lately a big move into communities offerings for us where our creators our customers can create communities for their students for their customers because that gives often i hear this saying of i signed up for a program for the content uh, but i stayed for the community So back to the health and fitness example, you sign up because you think there's a course that's going to change your life, but then you realize there's a whole community here where you can share your goals and ambitions and hold each other accountable. And that actually creates meaningful value in the long run, too. Yeah. And I'm so glad you brought up cohorts because there was this huge movement. I'm sure you remember fall of 2020. (laughs) The term cohort-based courses is originally coined by Gagnon Diani, the co-founder of Udemy. And it definitely catches fire, especially if you're in the investor startup world. Investors are very hype about this concept. (laughs) They think it's going to completely take over all digital learning. And that was obviously not the case. So I would be curious to hear your perspective on the cohort based movement. And in terms of what were the positives and like what types of course creators should really be using this model? And who are the types of courses that it's just not well suited for? Yeah, it's an interesting one. So uh, cohorts and say Thinkific is we're set up where you can do it. We're not exclusively that model and we're not perfectly optimized for it. You can do it. Generally, we have a pretty flexible setup so people can teach in lots of different ways and offer, make lots of different offerings, whether it's like a recurring subscription to a membership or a community or a course or even smaller sort of learning products. So we give them flexibility to do it, but have never really leaned in and said cohorts is the thing you've got to do it this way. And I think that's because it's like most of the data, if you look to, say, PhD university studies around learning and digital learning, a lot of it says the medium isn't as important as how you're sharing and teaching it. Now you can, so it's more about adjusting your techniques to be able to deliver positive value. So in terms of where you should do cohort learning, it depends a bit on the teacher, on the subject, on what kind of result you're trying to create, on what you formulated in terms of your curriculum. I I think there's some real benefits to doing it. I don't think it's the end all be all of learning of any kind, but there's real benefits if you do it well of saying, hey, I'm going to use this in a way where I'm engaged with you. Maybe there's a community engaged with you and there's a reason for us to all come together for a period of time to go from A to B together. And that can be things like holding each other accountable, could be things like extra value that you're adding, ensuring people cross the line, 
in a sense, my original course had somewhat of a cohort associated with it because it was about studying for an exam that happened four times a year. So there was essentially a forced four times a year cohort. So that was a good reason to have it set up that way. I didn't really leverage it in that I didn't hop in and do a lot of very time-based, we're going to work from A to B over a set period of time. I think you can be successful with it in almost any genre or topic, as long as you set everything else up around, this is a big focus for what we're doing. We're all going to come together over a period of time and pull each other along and get to a certain outcome within a certain period of time. Yeah. And I think ultimately, this is one of the things that what we've seen drives these tremendous transformations, outcomes, which is just, it's accountability. And it's, I'm glad that this is something we're talking about because cohorts is one model, but it's not the only model to drive accountability. It just depends on the nature of your course. Cohorts is one of them. You talked about gamification and then communities is a big one. And then that the communities is probably the one that I've seen is the most exciting to me personally. Could you talk about your communities product a little bit more? Yeah. So really what we saw is that I guess if you go back 20, even 2015, 2016, we started seeing inevitably at the time, every creator also had a Facebook group and we saw inevitably they were going to start to pull away from that for all the same reasons they wanted to use us for courses, which was they wanted control. They wanted to control over. I don't want people going into my community and seeing ads for a competing product or competitor, which happens if you're in a Facebook group and control over the data and who's in the group, maybe tying it to a revenue stream where there's a subscription access to the group, control over the brand and the whole experience and having it be more of a learning experience as opposed to a generic community. I think there's a big difference between a learning community where you're trying to consume information, achieve transformation together, as opposed to just a community where you might be discussing your favorite soccer team or a football team. Um, and so we decided we saw this inevitable trend away from the more generic Facebook groups and said we should build a product here that will help people do this and tie it to the learning experience. And so our focus recently on this really has been to tie it to learning and make it a learning community where it's integrated into all the other learning products like courses that we have. It's integrated into the commerce component where you can actually charge for access to it if you want. And and just recognizing, as you said, it's a great method for accountability and bringing a community together, cohort-based or not, to learn together and learn from each other. Yeah, and it's also one of the exciting movements that has happened over the past few years, which is online learning has always just felt like single player. And for the Mm -hmm. first time, I think these cohorts, these communities, it allows it to feel multiplayer. And that's what you were talking about before, which is people come for the content, but they stay for the community. Yeah, definitely. And then you also, when you look at the, what is it, there's this pyramid of activities in terms of effectiveness and learning. And at the top of the pyramid or the bottom or whatever, the best part really is that you're teaching others. And this is a really cool thing that happens in communities is people come, they get started as say a newbie in the topic and they're learning and then eventually they become a bit of an expert. And then they start mentoring and teaching and being a curator and a moderator and a contributor to the community. And that's where I think they actually have a better chance of achieving mastery of the subject as opposed to I took a course once and then I went away. Yeah, no, I love that. Looking ahead, I'm obviously you guys have achieved so much in you. Now you've just crossed a decade, right, of running ThinkTheFX. Maybe in, in a decade from now, how does the company look different? How does your mission look different? And how does the user base look fundamentally different than it is today? Yeah, it's a good question I ask myself often. <laughs> I think mission doesn't change and that the mission is really independent of the medium or how we solve the problem. So for us, the mission is 
we want to help people who have knowledge, passion, expertise. They want to use it to have a positive impact on others and on the world by sharing it with them. And they want to build a business doing it. And I think the business component is critical because it allows them to build something that's sustainable, to reinvest in it, to make a living doing it, to hire and grow and create a company around it. And I think that means for better quality education. It also opens the door to more entrepreneurial pursuits within education of and a more diverse background of teachers, right? It's You don't have to be the college educated or PhD or I work at a university. You can come from any background, have different viewpoints on the same subject matter as someone else and teach it in a different way that fits with other people. So that's that's still the mission 10 years from now. We're very much leaning into that. The medium, though, maybe it's not the Internet, right? Maybe it's more augmented reality, virtual reality. It's really whatever we can do to solve people's problems in the best possible way. So the medium will likely change and the solutions and the challenges and problems they face will shift. But our desire to help those people have that positive impact and build a business doing it is what holds steady. Incredible. Greg, thank you so much for coming on today. How can the audience keep up with you on social media and learn more about Thinkific? Everything for us is just at Thinkific, T-H-I-N-K-I-F-I-C.com. That's the best way to reach out. Okay, awesome, Greg. Thank you so much for joining us. This was a blast. Thanks, Ish. If you enjoyed that episode, would really appreciate a review or a subscribe on the podcast player of your choice. It really helps us get the word out. With that, this is Ish signing off. 